good morning, everybody. We're going to jump right into this, uh, so I hope you guys are ready for that. Last week, we learned uh, several concepts in this new series that we jumped into called The Art of Doing Good, and those concepts are, uh, are actually a series of drives that create most of who we are, okay? Uh, those drives are as follows. We talked about the aggressive drive, and I think everybody looks at aggression uh, with a certain negative uh, view in mind, and so I want to make sure that when we, when we talk about the aggressive drive in a positive way, we would be talking about something like a proactive drive, okay? So we talked about the aggressive drive. We talked about the pleasure drive. How many of you know that you all like pleasure? course you do, right? Okay, it's fine. It's fine if it's in balance, okay? It's fine if it's, uh, if it's done correctly. And so God has instilled in us this, uh, this joy that comes with pleasure and this drive for it. Um, but again, it, it's all about balance. It's all about understanding those things in their proper time and order. And then the third drive, which is the drive that those other two subserve, right, is, is the generative drive. And, and this is where we talk about something that goes beyond, uh, beyond self and beyond maybe an immediate relationship. This is what goes to the rest of the world. And this is a, a generating of good in the world. That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about when we talk about generative drive. Um, this is a very important drive. It's a very important thing because we are actually called to generate good in the world. And so we learned that as well last week, that among other things, what we are made to do is bring good into the world, okay? Um, we, we learned that this doing good is a component of bearing the image of God. So, so in Genesis, when we're taught that we were made in the image of God, male and female, made in his image, we are made in an image that brings about good into the world. Um, it's also seen in the whole Genesis narrative, the whole creation narrative, in which God steps back from everything that he does and he says, that's good. That's good. This is what God does, and this is the image in which we are created for the same exact purpose. Now, pulling from uh, passages like 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, Ecclesiastes 3, 11 through 13, and Isaiah 1, 17, we gained uh, a larger understanding of what good is, and we, we gained uh, a perspective on what God wants uh, in this good, what he wants from us and what he wants for us. Again, from us would be, would be something like a good that encompasses taking care of the widow and the orphan and the poor, uh, a good that transcends just like making colorful artwork in the world, but it includes that, right? And then it is something that is for us as well because as Isaiah points out, as Ecclesiastes points out, um, this is actually a reward in our life that this, this good that we produce is, is joyful to us. It brings us peace. It brings us contentment in all things. And so we are made for this good and we have these several drives that are, that are pushing us towards that. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what, uh, why these drives are or are not functioning well. And the R is pretty easy because we're healthy, right? But are not is something that requires a little bit of nuance and it requires us digging into um, 
maybe the specifics of your everyday life. So this requires a bit of a disclaimer, and that is my objective, my goal is to give you principles and uh, concepts, a, um, in some sense, a, a philosophy of how things work, and I would love to be able to sit down and give every example possible. I would love to give you a thousand uh, what-ifs or if-this-then-this situations. That's going to require sitting down with you one-on-one. That's going to require an actual time of hearing your story and understanding what you're going through and how you can apply these ideas. So the the general examples that I give are simply for the purpose of you getting the concept, getting the idea. So take that and then try to look at what that would be in your life. And then if you need help, that's where I want you to be able to reach out to me. So we're going to look at why these uh, drives are or are not functioning well. And I'm just going to start off by telling you the answer, and then we'll fill in what that answer really means. The reason why these drives do and don't function well is because we are either healthy in ourself or we are unhealthy in ourself. That's it. It's that simple. We are either healthy in ourself or we are unhealthy in ourself. And you're looking at me going, I don't know what that means. So that's why you can't leave now. I gave you the answer, but you still have to stay here. Anyway, so when we operate in a healthy self, Um, these various drives uh, can function well and bring about the most good. But when it is unhealthy, it actually undermines all of the drives and it results in the opposite of doing good. It results in a destruction of relationships. It results in a destruction of even who we are in our identity, all of these different things. So it goes against the very thing we were created for. Now, in a Christian worldview, um, the, the idea of self gets a bad rap, and so it's, it's, it's confused, I think, uh, but it gets a bad rap, and mostly it gets a bad rap because of certain schools of thought that uh, run amok with, um, with a, an idea, they go too far with it. How many of you have kids? How many of you have had your kids try to explain something to you and they run way too far with the scenario and they act like the end of the world is near, right? Yes, that's, that's, that's what happens, right? Well, we do this with our philosophies. The, we do this with our schools of thought. Um, we do this with self in particular. And so what I want to do, and this is not going to be on the screen, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians 5. This kind of uh, just hit me this morning. It was something that Steph and I had talked about and I wanted to make sure that I incorporated this in the message so that you can understand an idea of self that is healthy. Um, again, these ideas of self that, uh, that are distorted often emanate from uh, what, I would, what I would claim uh, they emanate from is Gnostic origins, origins of viewing the self as always and only bad, right? So everything self is just horrible and it's wretched and it's bad. But if we read Galatians 5 in a proper way, in a right context, I think we get a different picture of what self truly is. So, so in Galatians chapter 5, we start at verse uh, 18 for, for our sake today. And so verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, I, I want you to just think about what is juxtaposed here. Walking by what? 
led by the what? Spirit, as opposed to what? Law. Now that's interesting because I heard flesh. And there is a part of flesh in this, and I will show it to you. But I want you to understand that you are not under law, which is something governing flesh, okay? But we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. So he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What is really being uh, juxtaposed here is faith, right? Faith, trust in God, and a self-earning. A way of doing this yourself, like you're going to get it all right, which was what oftentimes people were doing with the law. We kept all the rules, we did all the stuff, therefore we're children of Abraham. And God says, no, you don't trust me in anything. That doesn't make you children of Abraham. If you don't trust me, that makes you children of the devil. (laughs) That's a pretty... Uh, challenging thing to say, right? So he goes on. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now this is where we get flesh into this. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, So what we have there is a deed of the flesh. And then he goes to this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And this is where we need to have a proper understanding of self and maybe even a proper understanding of flesh if you want to work with me on this. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this is the one that trips us, self-control. Not sure. I don't understand how the juxtaposition can be self versus spirit, flesh versus spirit, and then all of a sudden I need to have self-control. Here are a couple of ways that we might understand this. We say self-control means that the fruit of the Spirit is the byproduct of the Spirit residing within us, and therefore, that will be the only fruit that ever is produced. Seems to coincide with what Jesus says when he says that a bad tree can't produce good fruit, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. But now, by a show of hands, how many of you all have produced some bad fruit at times? The rest of you are lying and producing bad fruit now. Right, so, But the point that I'm getting at, my jokes get old, I know, but it's still true and it needs to be pointed out. The idea here is self-control is not saying, the fruit of the Spirit is not saying, now that you're a Christian, God is the puppet master and you love well and you're joyful and you have peace and you have patience. No. What this says is that you now have a different way of living. Not a flesh way of living, not a worldly way of living, not a faithless way of living, but you have a faithful way of living. You have a a spirit-informed way of living your life. Why in the world is this important? Because if it's not this way, then self-control is actually God's fault or to God's glory. He either gives me self-control, and I thank him for it, or when I'm not self-controlled, I actually have to blame him. 
Because, well, it's just the product of being one of his. No, 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 no. I'm informed with this. I can do this, but it doesn't mean it's automatic. It requires actual work in my life. Okay, so the reason why all of this and a right view of self is so important is because there's work to be done when it comes to living a healthy self. There's work to be done. It's not just all on God. I mean, yes, Christ in me, the hope of glory, and yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. But what are the right understandings of those? The right understanding is that he's changed my heart, and now I get to choose what is right and what is good. Now I can do and obey and be what he's called me to do and obey and be, okay? So this is all part of who we are. Well, today, we have to understand why these drives go wrong. And they go wrong because we have an unhealthy self. We have an unhealthy self because we're not living by faith. We have an unhealthy self because we heard what God said and we said, nah. How many of you know this? How many of you do this? How many of you did it this morning? Right, Sean. Anyway, right? Yes, so, so these become the, the challenges, okay? So I, what I want you to do now is I want you to think about uh, these drives on a spectrum of having too high of a drive, an unhealthy self, and too low of a drive, unhealthy self, okay? And we're still talking about generative drive, we're still talking about pleasure drive, and we're still talking about an aggressive drive. Here is what it leads to when you have too high of an aggressive drive or too high of a pleasure drive, which will then change or mess up your generative drive. You, what happens when it's too high is you tend towards envy, okay? You lean towards envy. As a matter of fact, if you want to go full tilt where you lean, you lean towards narcissism, okay? This is what happens when a drive that is uh, about pleasure, think about this, my pleasure and only my pleasure, what is the result? Envy. Why is it envy? Because if I'm not getting all that I feel I deserve, what do I think about the other people? I go, why in the world did they get that? And then I get grumpy and bitter and mad. How many of you have been envious? Yeah, I'm not going to comment. Anyway, right? So, so yes, so we get envious. This is the too high side of this. This is with pleasure drive. This is also with aggressive drive. If you are proactive, this again, aggressive meaning some sort of proactive drive. If you are aggressive and you are working towards something and you are all about the goal and all about the result and only about the reward that comes for you and you don't get what Joe Schmo gets, what happens? You become envious. What happens when your whole self is focused on what I get and what I can control and about my selfish ambition and about my self-seeking and about myself, rightly understood, which is out of proportion, right? Too much. What happens? I become an intolerable narcissist that nobody wants to be around. Can I get an amen? And don't look at a person next to you and Point the finger, right? Like it, This is a challenge, right? And so we've got this way too high piece or we have way too low. And some of you are going to probably relate with this deeply. The too low aspect of these drives would be demoralization. 
would be depression. Think about it. If your aggressive drive is too low, you have no desire to do anything. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? Why do you not want to do anything? Lots of things go into this, by the way. But when you have no drive to do anything and you sit and you do nothing and you don't want to affect change in the world and you don't want anything at all, you tend to be depressed, right? This is what, this is what flows out of people. This kind of, again, demoralization. So we've got depression. We've got no value in our lives to bring about anything. How many of you have ever said, I, it doesn't matter what I do anyway. It's not going to do anything. You've said that? Yeah. You say, what does it matter? That's a phrase we use. What does it even matter? Guess what? This applies in your relationships. It applies at work. It applies everywhere where you go, what good does it do? How many of you felt that way? What good does it do? It doesn't matter, right? Exactly. What you're doing is your drive is so low now, and maybe because of outside influences, but it is so low now that you don't have, you don't see any value that you bring which if not careful, it's going to lead to depression. It's going to lead to all kinds of other things. Both envy and demoralization, both narcissism and depression, actually are, uh, are, are things that exhibit or desire control, okay? You know this. Just hear me out. You, you already know this. It's, it's deeply in your hearts, right? Uh, a narcissist wants control in a top-down fashion. A narcissist wants to control everything and wants everybody to do it their way. They've got the best idea. They know what's whatever. And they can use it in all kinds of ways. They can manipulate you with emotions. They can manipulate you with their words. All of this, but it's control. And it's oppressive control. It's top-down control. But depression and demoralization can also be control. And that would be a bottom-up control. It's somehow someone else's job to regulate my emotions. It's someone else's job to make me feel better. I can't do it for myself. Guess what's out of whack right now? Self. Self. It's an unhealthy self. Uh, People who are struggling with demoralization or maybe even depression are often walking around in a very mopey fashion. How many of you know somebody like that? They're just mopey. How many of you know that mopey people can control? You know what they control? The frickin' mood of the whole house, the whole workplace, everybody. They're like, oh, Lord, here they come again, right? We're all, we're all like depression just is like contagious <laughs> after a while, okay? So mopiness is one of these things. Uh, lost or losing ambition uh, drives us to this, right? In, in neuroscience, they talk about a thing called the learned helpless. Uh, helplessness phenomenon, learned helplessness phenomenon. It's the same thing as like Pavlov's dog. It's the same thing as a reward uh, circuit. But if you learn that you or you keep being reinforced that you are helpless, that no one can, can do anything for you, you begin to give up. If you feel helpless, if you feel there's no point, ah, it doesn't change anything, you will continue to live in this model of being helpless. And then everybody around you is exhausted by your behavior, okay? 
So the reason why these two drives are operating out of whack is because we have an unhealthy self. That unhealthy self is displayed two different ways. Too high of those drives, which would be envy and narcissism. Too low of those drives would be demoralization and depression. But God gives us answers for how we're supposed to deal with these kinds of things. So we go back to the Bible. We go back to figure out how this works. Let's deal first with the too high drive. Turn with me in your Bibles. And Brittany, I I didn't send you this one, yet another one. Everything else will be on the screen. James chapter 3, starting at verse 14. James chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Here's what uh, James says. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. (laughs) Wow, that's hard right there. 15, this wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy And selfish ambition exists. Remember this too high of a drive. Selfish ambition. Too much pleasure seeking. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Let's keep going on. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits. I love this. Good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, when we are driving too high, the Bible tells us what we're actually operating in. An earthly, natural, even demonic way. Okay? Now, I'm not telling you that every time somebody's being selfish, the, the devil made them do it. I am simply saying you are doing something that is of the other team, right? So let's just think two teams. There's God's team and there's the devil's team. You can either do it God's way, walk by faith. That would be living by the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of that Spirit. Or you can do it a selfish way, Right? And so when you're about selfishness, not selflessness, but selfishness and control, when you're about selfish ambition, when you're about self-seeking, when yourself is out of proportion on this top level, what happens is you're actually living a life that is against God's kingdom. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. And where these things exist, and this is really hard for people to hear, and this is something that I think uh, anybody who struggles with narcissism or struggles with someone with narcissism needs to hear, and that is where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Look at your workplace, look at your family life, look at your relationships, and if you're dealing with this level of messed up drive, too high, you're going to see disorder everywhere. Just pay attention. You'll see it in the way they communicate. You'll see it in the way they supposedly care for you. You'll see it in the way they, um, they treat other people. You'll actually begin to see it in the way they treat themselves. I don't believe there's any, unless you're a sociopath, I don't believe anyone is so fully convinced of these kinds of things that they don't wrestle within themselves uh, over the struggles they have, over what's going on. The, the narcissist won't let you know it, though, right? 
the too high won't let you know it, right? So, so this is very important. So what we have to understand is if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, wow, that's very loud. Um, didn't set my thing on my phaser to stun today. What's going on, Nathan? Okay, where these things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exist, where there's arrogance, uh, you are lying against the truth and you're operating on a different side, okay? All of this, though, is an unhealthy self and it can be kept in control. It can be changed and we'll get to the helps in just a second. The next one is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This will be on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Here's what Paul says. He says, We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He goes on and says, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Sounds, that's my favorite part of the verse, right? Punishment, right? But here's, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is getting to this idea of taking thoughts captive, and those thoughts don't have to just be those who are preaching a false gospel. You should take those thoughts captive. That's very true. But any thought that is, that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God, what is the knowledge of God in this context? It would be that the fruit of the Spirit means that we live in our flesh, in our self, in subjection to the Spirit. We trust Him and not ourselves. If we are going to believe that we are helpless to fix anything, if we believe we're out of control, if we're always looking at other people and saying, you're, in, you're responsible for this, you're to blame for this, we're actually believing something that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And what do we have to do? We have to take those thoughts captive. You have a responsibility when your drives are unhealthy to take the thoughts captive. You take selfishness and you take it captive. Is that easy? Do you even know half the time when you're being selfish? Your wife does, right? This is true. This is actually why we need each other. You know why we resist a lot of correction? We know it's true, we just don't like who it's coming from. We know it's true, and we see that they operate the same way as us, and we think, how dare you? <laughs> They're people just like you are. Or should I say, you're a people just like they are, right? Maybe you think yourself bigger. Here's the point. When we deal with too high of a drive, we have to take these things captive. We have to bring this stuff down, and we've got to then operate well. If it's control, we need to let go. If it's ambition, we need to make sure that ambition is not selfish ambition. If we are, um, if we are doing something, if, if it's pleasure drive and we want something out of it, we have to make sure that it's not just our pleasure we're after. There are other people involved in life, and you should care for them the same way. Again, we're putting self in proportion, but you have control over it, church. So please, if you take nothing else away, you have control. There is a spirit dwelling in you that says you can walk by faith. Amen? You can walk by faith. Okay, the opposite side, too low, demoralization or envy or, or, or depression, rather. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 7 and 8. 
I, I find this to be fascinating. Paul says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what should we do, church? Dwell on these things. Do you know why demoralization and depression just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper? Because you focus on the crap constantly. You just keep going deeper into the bad stuff. Is that not true? You're like, here's the problem with work. That's the way you lead it off, right? Here's the problem at home. The problem with him is, the problem with her is, we're not thinking on the good and the pure and the holy right now. We're thinking on the suck, Okay, and that's what we focus on. So, so we dive down in this. But here is what I think is so fascinating about this passage in Philippians. Notice what happens before in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, if you take that by itself, here's what you should walk away believing. He'll protect me. I'm good. I don't have to do anything. But if you read the next line, you realize His peace in protecting you demands your action, right? The peace of God is going to protect your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So what do you do? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's how God protects you. He shifts your thinking or he calls you to shift your thinking. Whether you will or not is your issue, okay? So this is where we start to get into solutions, right? Right? Where do we get into solutions? Or how do we solve these problems of too high or too low? The very first thing that we need to do is realize we need help that is outside of ourselves. I know I just told you, you can do this. You can do this, but you might need to learn how. You can do this. You might need encouragement in it. You can do this, you can set yourself into a place of success, but you might need somebody to be your cheerleader in the corner going, come on, come on, we can do this, we can push forward. And then this is contrary to a lot of Christian thought. You might actually need medicine. This is a crazy idea, right? In the Christian world, in the scientific world, in the world at large right now, There is a great debate on what medicine is useful for. And it's no longer just this, you know, trust Jesus Christian that says we think medicine can be unhealthy. There's a lot of people who say I'd rather go without medicine. Fine, fine. But understand what it's for. The tool of medicine is, let's say you're dealing with depression, the tool of medicine is to raise the levels of dopamine or whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with, to raise these levels to a level of baseline where you're not stuck in a cycle of, holy crap, life sucks, right? If it raises it to this level, then you build from there. Okay? You raise to this level and then you get counseling. You raise to this level and you say, I need help. I need a friend. You raise to this level and you ask the church to come around you. You raise to this level and then you begin building. But the way it happens right now is they just feed you with medicine 
it's not getting anywhere, right? Thanks for all the medicine. I still didn't figure out how to do it. That's the broken part of medicine, right? But there's an opposite extreme where people are like, well, I'll just do it. I don't want any of the medicine. You might have a chemical imbalance. Did you know that's actually a thing? And here's why this should be okay for the Christian worldview. Do you all believe that the world has fallen? Do you all believe that sin has lasting effects in the world? One of those might be that chemicals are out of whack. One of those might be that children are born in, in bad situations, deformed or with, with, uh, with disabilities. It might be that cancer is real. It could also be that you have a chemical imbalance. And we're so scared of mental health issues, and I don't really understand why. But what happens is we then use those tools as the only tool, or we use them improperly, right? So we have to come back and we have to fix it. So how do we work at narcissism or too high of a drive? And how do we work at demoralization or too low of a drive? We get help. We look for somebody, we seek somebody or something that can actually help us, okay? As a Christian, remember, we want help that always points us back to walking by faith in Jesus, it's not help to come back to a center where God doesn't matter, right? But a, but a center where we understand where our hope comes from and where our power comes from. We have to make sure that we know um, what is motivating us, and sometimes the help is what tells us what's motivating us, okay? So give, me a, give you an example. Let's say you're, um, let's say husbands, you are going to work, and on your way home, you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy flowers for my wife, okay? How many of you think that's a good idea? It's not. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, so you think it's a good idea, that's great. Okay, you want to buy flowers for your wife. The question is, what's your motivation? I'm going to buy flowers for my wife tonight because maybe she'll sleep with me. I know, you guys are like, why does the pastor talk this way? Deal with it. Anyway, right, maybe, maybe this will happen. Maybe you can butter her up. Okay, now, is your pleasure drive okay in wanting that? Yeah. God made sex for a reason, okay? It's fine, okay? You have a pleasure drive. You want that. But if you're only buying things for her for that purpose, is that a good thing? No, because what you are doing is being selfish, you're like, check out what I can get out of this, okay? I want you to run that kind of scenario in everything you do in life. Why am I serving my boss? Well, if I serve him well, I can get the raise I want and whatever. The Bible says you're supposed to serve your earthly masters as though you're serving the Lord. So why would you do it? I don't know. God told me to, <laughs> right? God told me to serve them this way. Why would you love your wife by buying her flowers? Here's the hint, because you love her. That's it. There doesn't have to be any other reason. Now, if there's a benefit of it, is that bad? No, it's wonderful. Fantastic, right? If you're buying flowers because you bought something you shouldn't have bought without talking to somebody that you should have talked to, and you want to ease it, Sean Dick, right? If you want to do this, right, then is that a good motivation? No, because you're still doing the same thing. You're trying to, you're trying, you're not using things, you're not actually expressing selfless love. 
You have an agenda inside of this. So you need to get to your motivation. Sometimes you need help getting to those motivations. Sometimes your wife or your husband are the best people to tell you what those motivations are. Sometimes they're not, <laughs> right? But sometimes, sometimes they are, right? And so you need to understand, what am I doing? Self-reflection matters. Friends, running it by somebody. All of this is very important and very helpful, in my view, uh, for getting to the right things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, here's what we see. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it should be on the screen as well but I'm turning there myself. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 9, here's what uh, Solomon says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now, without diving into some spiritual lesson which nobody can truly prove, let's deal with this idea. The idea here is it's better to have someone with you. It's better to seek guidance, seek help, to have somebody who can help you. And we need this when it comes to these drives and when they're way out of whack. If they're too high, we desperately need another person to say, you are digging your own pit. Quit. You need to stop this. If it is too low, you need to be able to have another person that says, you've been in the pit for a long time. Can I help you out? Can I bring you out of this? Okay? We need each other to get these drives into a healthy way. And then when we do, we can actually bring about the most good together. There's a lot of debate among men and women of who's leading and who's serving and who's this and who's that. And honestly, the, the argument has become very obnoxious to me. It's become obnoxious because I don't think we actually are dealing with the right facts in this information. I believe that God has made uh, husband and wife, I, I believe that he has made um, these relationships for the purpose of co-ruling and co-reigning. So I'm using one example right now, marriage. This is not going to be the example for, for everybody else. But for marriage, the idea is co-ruling and co-reigning. When this is done properly, you have two people whose pleasure drive Two people whose ambitious drive or, or um, uh, aggressive drive, sorry, thank you, uh, aggressive drive, and two people whose generative drive are in harmony, right? They're working together. So when the husband has a, um, let's just be very candid with everybody as if I haven't already, but let's just be candid. The husband has a sex drive on a scale of one to 10 that's at a 10, Maybe even a 15, okay, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10. But the wife, let's just say her sex drive is down at a 1 or a 2. This is, this is absurdly common, absurdly common, okay? You have a high drive over here and a lower drive over here. The objective for most people is, why won't you change? That's what happens. Can you change? Can you be something you're not? Can you stop being a two and start being a 10? 
And guess what this kind of perversion leads to? Will you come be a 10 and we'll do all kinds of weird, stupid, outlandish things to try to drive your drive up to this level? Bad idea. Bad idea. You know what God made in your wife? Let's say she's a two. He made her a two. Suck it up. What he did was make somebody who can balance you, right? Who can help you, who can love you well. And you have to be able to see this in a right way, okay? So let's say she's down here and you're up here. The bad thing for her to do is say, stop with all this drive all the time. It's just who you are. It's what you are. Does that mean you have to be a pain in the neck? No, you don't. No, you can serve her well. And she can serve you well, right? Like, you get what I'm getting at with these things. What happens is a compromise that does something important, good. Do you see what I'm talking about? It's not good for me. It's not good for her. It's not good for him. It's, it's, it's good together. And so what happens is a compromise that says, how can I best serve you? If both people are asking the question, how can I serve you, you will get somewhere. If both people are asking the question, why can't you serve me? You're going to keep having the problem. Did you know this? So when we talk about these drives, what we have to do is we have to bring this stuff together, but we're compromising for good. We're not compromising so that I can get what I want later, she can get what she wants later. We're compromising for something else. We're compromising because there's joy in doing these things for good, right? And we're going to talk more about these, and we're going to get more in detail and probably scare half of you to death. But anyway, so we'll be talking about that. Next week, though, let me, uh, let me jump back into my notes. I'm sorry. Next week, though, what I want to do is I want to talk about, um, I, I want to talk about uh, structure and function. I've already alluded to this in a previous sermon series. Structure and function of self as God has designed it. And when we jump into these things, these structures and function of self, when we understand them through the image of God, when we understand them for what we're made to do, I think what we'll do is we'll start to understand the difference between men and women in a better way. I think we'll start to understand why God tells us to love even our neighbor or even our enemy, rather. I think we'll begin to understand uh, how these things, uh, how good is best produced. I know that what we'll understand is how to properly utilize our drives, our aggressive drive, our pleasure drive, and our generative drive. We will know how to properly use those to bring about that good. We'll be able to better spot where we're wrong. We'll be able to better spot where, uh, where we need help. And that, hopefully, is what you focus on, where you are wrong, where you need help, not where they are, right? But as we work through this and as we start to build this, what we're working towards is this ultimate goal. Of course, it's good. But the ultimate goal in doing good is that we would live a life that is filled with peace and a life that's filled with contentment. I think if, I think if everybody here really sat and thought about it, what they want out of life is a life that they're content with. A life that they're at peace within. Skin that you're at peace within, right? A family that you're at peace within. You're content with. You can get there 
but we have to get there by understanding these right functions and these right drives in, in the best way. So to take away from today, I want you to realize that you do have control over getting these drives, the things you get wrong, the things that you, you go too high or too low on. You have the ability to get them under control. It is walking by faith. You may need help to get there. You may need somebody to coach you in that. You may need somebody to uh, prescribe medicine that would help you in that. You may just need a friend who can pick you up out of a pit when you get there. Does that make sense? So we'll continue on next week and we'll work back through this. And I encourage you to keep showing up because uh, there are a lot of helps that we will be providing over these next couple of weeks, especially in the realm of... of, uh, of relationships and communication. That's where, that's where my heart is definitely at. So um, we're going to take communion, and I'm not actually sure who's doing communion today. Is that Jace? Mr. Sims, come on up here. I'm going to pray us out, in, uh, or I'm going to pray for us, and then let Jake, uh, Jace take this away. Um, Please, if you have questions about these ideas, if, you, if you're working through how to get your life into a healthy level or a, a, you know, a healthy drive versus too high or versus too low, I want you to email me. I want you to start that conversation. I, I had several people this week. It was very enjoyable. Several people that I was able to talk to and work through last week's message with. And I want to encourage you, if you need help, this is, this is a very important thing to start working on, okay? So you can email me. You know the email address. It's nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com.